If you've ever been on slick ice, he says, as I have, it doesn't matter how careful or sure-footed you are, when you hit that slick spot, it's over before you can do anything but hit the ground. The Bible says this is the picture of your trials. It is not that there is anything preventative that you can do that will keep you from having a trial. There's no use trying. You're going to encounter some trials. You know, he's right. He's absolutely right. Life is full of trials and tribulations and temptations. Let's face it, life's hard. And the trials of life don't make it any easier. I don't have to tell you that. You've been through them. You're going through them. If you've never been through a trial, you will go through a trial. So how do we deal with them? How do we deal with the trials and the tribulations and the temptations of life? How do we make it through the trials and the temptations? Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we begin a brand new sermon series on the book of James that we're going to be studying this fall. Uh, Starting today, going up through Thanksgiving time. Can you believe it? Here it is, September 13th, and I'm talking about Thanksgiving. What is wrong with this guy? But uh, we're going to begin a new sermon series on James. We're going to be talking about the place where the rubber meets the road. The place where the rubber meets the road is that moment of truth. The moment of truth. Uh, The book of James is a call to a faith that is mature. And we're going to talk a lot about maturity. We're going to talk a lot about a mature faith. This is going to be heavy stuff. Okay, we had a nice sermon series over the summer talking about the stories of Jesus, the stories from from the New Testament, and it was all nice and, and happy and everything. We're going to get to some serious stuff this fall. We're talking about the book of James. James is serious. All right, he, when he calls us to a mature faith, when he calls us, you know, at this place where the rubber meets the road, I, this is serious. This is about living a life of maturity and, uh, and living, uh, being a grown-up Christian. That's what it's all about. It's, it's time to put the baby food away. It's time, you know, my son is three years old and he still eats baby food. I try to give him green beans. He'll only eat pureed green beans. Second food's from Gerber. He'll only eat pureed sweet potato and that's it. And I've tried to give him, we've tried to give him like mashed sweet potato or mashed green beans. Won't do it. Three years old. And I try to tell him, it's time to put the baby food away. Come on now, let's grow up, let's be a big boy, let's eat some green beans. He says, no. No arguing with a three-year-old, not much point in it. But I think that James is telling us the same thing. It's time to put the baby food away, it's time to put the milk away, it's time to get to the meat. So that's what we're going to talk about this fall. We're going to talk about the meat. We're going to talk about maturity. We're talking about growing up in our faith, being big boys, being big girls, being big Christians. Okay, that's what we're going to get to this fall. I'm very excited about it. When the moment of truth comes, when the rubber meets the road, and you stand the tests and you stand the trials, will your faith make it? Because that's where the rubber meets the road. We're going to talk for just a few moments about the background of James, and then we'll talk about the first part of chapter 1. Next week... Our youth minister, David Herbert, who uh, did community meditation offering this morning uh, and disappeared, um, David is going to preach next week about the second part of chapter one. I will be out of town next weekend. I will be on my way to Lambeau Field to watch the Green Bay Packers, the one and old Green Bay Packers, uh, dismantle the Cincinnati Bengals. If you have a, if you have a, enough of that, all right. If you have a Bible, would you grab it and uh, turn to the book of James? We're going to start talking about where the rubber meets the road. But first I want to talk about some of the background information about this letter. James is the author of the letter, and it is, he is believed to be the brother of Jesus. He is mentioned by Paul in Galatians 1.19 as the Lord's brother. 
So we're talking about Jesus' brother who wrote this book. In Acts 21, 18, he is mentioned as one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church. And he was writing to his fellow Jewish believers who had been scattered from, Judea, from Jerusalem around Judea and Samaria by an outbreak of persecution. So persecution is going on. Christians have been scattered out of Jerusalem because of this great persecution. Scholars believe that this may have been one of the earliest written books of the New Testament, possibly written even before 50 A.D., the persecution that the church was facing was from Jewish leaders and teachers. In Acts 7, we read about the stoning of Stephen. In chapter 8, verse 1, it says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So persecution was running rampant. And the Jewish Christians were wondering, what in the world is going on? Life had been fairly easy up until this point. Their faith was being tested now. And they were tempted to give up on their faith. Uh, there's a guy who many believe was probably the greatest American president. And uh, he's a good example of surviving trials. That's what we're talking about today. When he was seven years of age, his family was forced out of their home and he went to work. When he was nine, his mother died. He lost his job as a store clerk at the age of 20. He wanted to go to law school, but he didn't have the education. At age 23, he went into debt to be a partner in a small store. Three years later, the business partner died, and the resulting debt took years to repay. When he was 28 years old, after courting a girl for four years, he asked her to marry him, and she turned him down. On his third try, he was elected to Congress at age 37, but he was then failed to be reelected. His son died at the, year, at the age of four. When this man was 45, he ran for the United States Senate and lost. At age 47, he ran for the vice presidency and lost. But at age 51, he was elected president of the United States. The man? Abraham Lincoln. That's called perseverance, my friends. That's called overcoming trials. That's called surviving trials and tests. I want to talk about surviving trials and temptations for the balance of our time this morning. How can we survive the trials that we go through in this life? How can we make it through? It's not easy. I mean, let's face it, life is hard. I know. 2009 has not been kind to the Cornette family. Chomp, 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 chomp. The good news is in two weeks we should be moving back into our house. So praise God, we're almost back into our house. We're very excited. It'll be about two weeks we should be back in there. So how do we survive these trials and temptations and things that we go through when our faith is tested? How do we make it through? How do we get through this? According to James, we rejoice. Say, what? How do you rejoice in trials? Well, that's what he talks about. Grab your Bibles, turn to James chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers. Consider it pure joy, my brothers. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man unstable in all he does we rejoice when we face trials of many kinds why because it is in the tests and the trials in the crucible of the tests and trials that we face that our faith grows it's where the rubber meets the road 
It's how our faith matures. You've got to think of faith kind of like a muscle, all right? I'm very excited. Uh, your youth minister and your minister have made a pledge. We've made a decision. We're going to start working out. We're going to go together. We're going to go uh, to the workout place, and we're going to start. I'm not kidding. We're going to start working out, all right? We're going to start building muscle and, you know, uh, and uh, I, I want to look like uh, Bob Brooks. And, uh, so anyway, um, so we're going to start working out. And faith is kind of like a muscle. When you go work out, what happens? You go and you work out, you know, and you're lifting weights and everything like that. I mean, I'm going to lift at least, I don't know, 45, 50 pounds the first day. And uh, I'm the 210-pound weakling. Um, anyway, uh, but I'm going to, you know, lift weights. I'm going to get on the treadmill. I'm going to walk. I'm going to get on the elliptical and do Whatever you do on an elliptical, you know, I'm going to do all that stuff. And then Tuesday morning, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to feel great, right? No. <laughs> I'm going to wake up Tuesday morning and my 35, almost 36-year-old body is going to say, what is wrong with you? I'm going <laughs> to roll out of bed and, and, and Jonathan's going to wake me up at like, I know he's going to wake me up at 6.30 in the morning and be like, daddy, get up. No, daddy doesn't want to get up. And I'm going to roll out of bed and I'm going to ache. I'm going to feel every single movement of the elliptical. I'm going to feel every pound of that 45 pounds that I bench pressed twice. I'm going to feel every step I took on that treadmill. I just know it. I absolutely know it. But it's good for me. The pain, the, the, the hurt means that the muscle's growing. I have to put it through the trial. I have to put it through the test of, of exercise in order to build the muscle. I got to it's got to hurt before it's going to grow. But the fact is, it's going to grow. When I put it through the test, when I put it through the trial of exercise, my muscles will grow. And my tummy will shrink. And you'll see me up here looking all small, like Danny Keller. Ugh! Yeah, I'm excited. I love working out. I just haven't done it in years. <laughs> so next Sunday, when you see me, you know, after a week of working out, and I'm like, you know, taking one... And I got my little walker out here, and I'm trying to get across the stage. You know, Sean's been working out. Now, David Herbert, you know, it won't be a problem for him. He's already, mm. but, uh, you know, it's through exercise and resistance that our muscles grow. We put our muscles through the trials of exercise, and they grow. So we rejoice when we face the trials. But how do we survive the trials? How do we get through them? First, we survive trials of faith by faith. When we lack wisdom to understand why we are going through the trial, we ask God for wisdom. But we, when we pray, we must not doubt. It is through our faith in God to provide wisdom and anything else for that matter that we survive the trials. It is through faith that we survive trials. What if we don't get the answer? What if we ask for wisdom to understand the trials and we just don't understand? We don't get the wisdom. We don't get the answer. Well, we keep on praying. We keep on asking. Jesus told a parable in Luke chapter 18 about a, a persistent widow who kept... Uh, uh, knocking on the, the judge, uh, the, ju the unjust judge's door for, for justice. And uh, he taught his disciples that they should pray and never give up, never give up, never give up. In other words, don't give up on prayer. Pray in faith. Pray in faith and trust God that he will grow your faith through the trials. Trust that God will provide the wisdom that you need to make it through and that God will give you the perseverance to survive the trial. And that brings me to the second way that we survive the trials of life. It is through perseverance. Sometimes we've just got to keep on keeping on. Sometimes we just got to keep motoring on through. Take the case of author John Grisham. How many of you read Grisham's novels? All right, some of you read, you know, how many of you read? I mean, do you like to read? John Grisham is an uh, amazing author uh, who writes amazing, uh, like, 
uh, novels about uh, lawyers and stuff like that. I, I, I've never read one, but uh, I've seen some movies. Uh, you know, <laughs> books better than the movies, yeah, but I didn't have to read it. So um, Grisham is the world's most commercially successful novelist of the last decade. He has well over 100 million books in print in 31 languages. Yet he was hardly an overnight success in his transition from attorney to writer. A Time to Kill, all right? Anybody read A Time to Kill? A Time to Kill, his first novel was rejected by 28 agents and publishers. 28. When an agent finally decided to take him on as a client, the book's first press run was only 5,000 copies. Grisham himself purchased 1,000 of those copies and hawked his work to bookstores from the trunk of his car. Only after his second novel, The Firm, hit the bestseller list did he get his big break. Six of his movies have now been made into six of his books have now been made into movies, and the press run of his most recent volume, A Painted House, was a phenomenal 2.8 million copies of the first run. Hebrews 12:1. Hebrews 12:1 says that we should run the race, this race of the Christian life, with perseverance. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says this, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not disappoint because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. We have hope because we have perseverance. We got to persevere. We got to motor through. One of the trials that James writes about is in verses 9 through 12. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. There are trials for those who are wealthy. There are trials for those who are poor. The poor, the poor one has the trial of being poor. You know, being poor isn't easy. Amen? I expected to hear more amens than that. Living paycheck to paycheck leads to stress. We talked about that last week. And it tests your faith. But how much better is it to be poor in pocket and rich in faith? The wealth one has the trial of self-sufficiency. Check out these words from Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. If I have too much, if I got too much, I may disown you and say, Who is the Lord? That's the trial of self-sufficiency. Not only that, but when trials do come... The wealthy one does not have the deep roots of faith that stand firm in the midst of the trial. Either way, rich or poor, we are to rejoice in the trials and tests of life. The trials produce maturity, and that's the goal. A mature faith, a strong faith, a uh, kind of faith. And that's what we're talking about as we talk about James. Now, the same word that is used for trial is also translated temptation. Uh, listen to James 1, 13 through 18. This is from the New Living Translation. It says, and remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is ne never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptations come from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. 
So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give, us, to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. You know, that's a fascinating word picture that James uses to describe the process of sin, the process of temptation that leads to sin. This idea that, that sin gives birth, uh, temptation gives birth to death. How sad is that? That's the worst thing ever. But that's what happens in our lives when we give in to temptation and we sin. God did not create sin. He did not put the desire to sin in us. So where does our sinful desire come from? The words used for entice the word used for tempt is, is uh, they're hunting words, fishing words, okay? You know, you've seen the Bugs Bunny cartoons where he uh, takes the box or maybe Tom and Jerry, whatever, you know, old cartoons. They take the box and they stick the, uh, the stick under there and they put a carrot under there to try and catch a rabbit and they tie a string to the carrot and they go over here, you know, Elmer Fudd does his thing, you know, and waits for the bunny to come along and, and, and uh, you know, that, that carrot is the enticement. That carrot is the enticement. That the, the bunny just cannot resist. But that's how you trap it. Or a fish. You know, you go fishing and uh, you uh, put the worm on the hook and drop that down there. I always love to use the long night crawlers, you know. And uh, I, I just, you know, fishing is great. But if it was easy, they'd call it catching. Um, but I, I, used to, I just loved to fish. And I, I never understood how a worm got a taste for, for uh, how a fish got a taste for worms. But that doesn't matter. They like the worms, and so they go after it. They just cannot resist. They smell that fish, they smell that worm, or they see the worm dangling there, and they can't help but go after it. And that's what they do. They go after that worm, they grab it, and they just can't help themselves. That's the idea that it comes with enticement. We have desires. You see, the animal has desires, desires for you know, carrot or desire for worm or whatever. You know, they have this uh, desire, and they just cannot help themselves. They don't realize that the desire that they have will lead to its doom. And we have desires. And it is when our desires are unchecked and unrestricted that we fall into the trap of sin. The desire for intimacy can lead to all kinds of sexual sins. The desire for possessions can lead to sins of greed and coveting the desires of the self lead to sins of pride is it wrong to want intimacy not at all is it wrong to want possessions no we need things like houses and clothes and cars to get us to our jobs but when those desires go unchecked then we have a problem it is then that we find ourselves in sin we are tempted by the evil one not by god god doesn't say oh i'm going to try and get sean on this one i'm going to test his faith and see how strong he is i'm going to see if i can get him to sin god never tempts us to sin that's not how god operates when we give in to temptation, though, when the evil one comes calling, he waves that carrot or that worm in front of you, we are dragged away to our doom. Now, the good news, the wonderful news, the awesome news, is that when we do give in to temptation, and we do, and when we sin, and we do, we, uh, we can be forgiven. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Our sins can and our sins will be forgiven by God because of the sacrificial death of his son, Jesus Christ, and God removes our sins from us as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers them no more. Amen. Hallelujah. His compassionate love and his mercies are new every morning. And according to James, God does not change. That's the good news, all right? God doesn't change. See, the gods, 
you know, you study Greek mythology in, in school and stuff, and the, the gods of Greek mythology or the, the gods of the pagans, you know, they change. You never know what to expect from them. They're kind of, they're just glorified human beings, kind of fickle and changing their minds all the time. God, our God, the Lord Jesus Christ, he does not change. Hebrews says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same. So when God says, I will, as it says in 1 John 1, 9, I will forgive your sins and, and uh, purify you from all unrighteousness. When he says that I will remove your sin from you as far as the east is from the west and I will remember your transgressions no more. When God says that, he means it. And he's not going to change the rules in the middle of the game. He's not going to throw you a curveball. It's not going to be, oh, you know what, I forgave your sins all the way up until now, but now I don't feel like forgiving them anymore. So you're kind of on your own. That's not, that's not how God works. God does not change. You know, James uses the word picture of a shifting shadow. When you think about how, uh, like a sundial, all right, what happens on a sundial? As the sun moves around, the shadows shift. God's not that way. When you stand in the light of the sun, the S-O-N, the shadows never change. You are surrounded by his light all the time. And it never, ever changes. And that's good news, my friends. That's wonderful news. When God says he forgives you, he means it. And that never changes. If you will believe, repent, confess, and be baptized, you will be forgiven. You will be saved. You will receive the gift of God's Holy Spirit, and you will have the power, the power to survive trials and temptations and tests and tribulations because that's where the power comes from jesus promised that when the holy spirit come that uh, when the holy spirit came that they would his disciples would receive power from on high and there is power in the holy spirit there is power that dwells inside of us right now if you were to go over to my uh rebuilt house my house that is being rebuilt and you took an outlet you took a plug and stuck it in the outlet nothing would happen because Nipsco hasn't come to uh, hook up the power again yet. They're supposed to be there Friday. But it's neither here nor there. If you plug an outlet into the power, there's uh, into the, uh, in, you plug an out, uh, uh, if you plug, thank you, if you plug a plug into the outlet, there's no power. And I think a lot of us as Christians don't realize that we have a plug and we have a power source, but we're not plugging that plug into that power source. There is a power source called the Holy Spirit that dwells inside each and every one of us. You want power to overcome trials and temptations? You want power to survive those trials and temptations? You've got to lean on God's Holy Spirit because the three-in-one, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, all equal yet separate persons, it is through the power of the Holy Spirit, it is through the power of God that he created this universe. David and I were coming home last night from the U2 concert we were coming home from the YouTube concert last night, and the moon just looked awesome. All right, so we're coming home from the concert, and the moon is amazing. It's kind of like an orange color, and it was just a crescent. And I thought to myself, God made that. How cool is it that he thought of the idea of a moon? If I made the earth, you know, I'd be like, okay, here's a ball. You know, that's good enough, I guess. But God said, no, that's not good enough. I, I want to put a moon right there. God did it all. He made it all. The whole universe keeps it all spinning, keeps it all going. It's amazing. I mean, just think about creation for just a few moments, and you'll realize that God spoke it into being. Pow, it was there. It's amazing. It's awesome. And that power that created the universe, that power of God is in each and every one of us.
But Sean, I'm weak and I'm frail. You got the power of the Holy Spirit. You got the power of God's Spirit dwelling inside of you. Tap into it. Plug it in. Say, God, when temptation comes calling, when you're in the midst of a trial, say, God, I need your power. It's not my strength. It's not my power. Believe me, it's not my power. When it comes to temptation, I got no power. I got no willpower. Depending on the temptation, chocolate suicide cake at uh, around the clock. Sorry, Melissa. Chocolate suicide cake. I got no willpower at all. But if I want to overcome temptations, the temptations in my life, I need to plug into the power of God's spirit. I need to plug into the power of God and say, God, help me. It is in my weakness that he shows how strong he is. And he is strong. He is powerful. If you want to survive the trials and temptations, plug into the power of God. Plug into the power of God. There's a story from Runner's World magazine of August of 1991. It told the story of Beth Ann De DeCantis' attempt to qualify for the 1992 Olympic Trials Marathon. A female runner must complete the 26-mile, 385-yard race in less than 2 hours and 45 minutes to compete at the Olympic Trials. She started out strong but began having troubles around, miles around mile 23. She reached the final straightaway at 2 hours 43 minutes with just 2 minutes left to qualify. 200 yards from the finish, she stumbled and fell. Dazed, she stayed down for 20 seconds. The crowd yelled, get up! The clock was ticking. 2.44, less than a minute to go. She staggered to her feet and began walking. Five yards from the finish, with 10 seconds to go, she fell again. And she began to crawl, the crowd cheering her on. She crossed the finish line on her hands and knees. Her time? Two hours, 44 minutes, and 57 seconds. Hebrews 12.1 says to run the race with perseverance and never give up. Never give up. Sometimes it is hard to keep going. It is hard to persevere. It is hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel without thinking that it's an oncoming train. But think about this for just a moment. And I've talked about this before. Imagine crossing the finish line, even if it's on your hands and knees, and there is Jesus waiting for you. He is waiting to embrace you and welcome you home. And that's what we're running for. That's what we're running towards. There is a prize that awaits us. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25 says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. That crown is waiting for you. The crown is waiting for you. So run the race with perseverance. Persevere through the trials and persevere through the, through the temptations in faith. Know that the trials are making you stronger and they are helping your faith to grow. Do not give up, my friends. As hard as it is, whatever trial you are facing, whatever temptation you are going through, as hard as it is, do not give up. Because when the trials and the temptations come, and they will come, remember this sermon, remember the words of James, do not give up. For the trials and the temptations are where the rubber meets the road. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the promise of your Holy Spirit, for the power of your Spirit dwelling inside of us. Thank you that you give us the power to overcome temptation. 
that you give us the power to persevere through trials. And I pray for my friends today that whatever trials that they are facing, whatever temptations they are going through, that, Lord God, that you would give us power to overcome, power to survive, power to thrive in the midst of trial. Give us the power to rejoice, knowing that we are stronger because of the trials. Help us, God, at that place where the rubber meets the road to be mature and complete in our faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.